Yeah, welcome. This is Think Tech. This is Community Matters, and I'm here on a given hmm, Thursday uh, with Willie Moore, Wilson Moore, who you really have to know if you don't know him already. He's a very important person. We are, we are honored to have him here. He's done so much in his life for this community. Hi, Wilson. Nice to see you. Thank you, Jay. Last uh, Saturday, we went, we followed you around Iolani Palace, where you are a docent. And today, I would like to talk about how you got to be a docent, what you do as a docent, how you learned as a docent, and what it all means. And that was supposed to be your last, your last docent tour at Iolani Palace, but it's not true. There will be more, I think. Well, Cindy has asked me to do VIP tours, which I do on occasion, and the Chief Justice of Hawaii Supreme Court has been kind enough to say he wants me to, to do uh, some tours in February of next year for, some gr for a group that's coming in. You've been doing these tours for a decade. After other careers you've had in the law and litigation and other things you've done for the community, such as being on the, the panel that evaluates judges, which is really important. You were on there a long time. Um, and this is uh, sort of the, the, the most recent chapter uh, in your service to the community. So we want to talk about that. We're calling the show A Decade uh, in the Royal Court, and that's a double entendre, at Iolani Palace. So let me, let me first ask, you know, what was your first contact with the palace? I already know the answer. What was your first contact with the palace, even as a child here growing up in Honolulu? Well, of course, um, Shirley Temple was a huge movie star in 1935, there were thousands to meet her at the boat when she came. And uh, apparently when uh, my parents heard that she was going to sing at Iolani Palace, my father took me down. And I remember being up on his shoulders and hear her singing from the upper Makai Gallery of Iolani Palace, the good ship Lollipop, for which she was famous. And I remember uh, that she had to sing from more than that one lanai because there were so many thousands of fans there. Um, we were both uh, pretty close to seven years old, but she was a much older woman. She was six months older than I was. <laughs> you know, I mean, just to catch on that, so you, you say she could not do it just from one lanai. So this, I envision a palace surrounded by people on all four sides, and she moves from side to side to sing again, yeah? I think the internet said something like five to 9,000 people on things. Wow. She was hugely popular back in those days. Oh, yeah. I can't say I remember, but I, <laughs> I recognize but that. But it's a fun story, and, and uh, being a docent at the palace, that's one of the things that tourists like, to, like me to tell, because they like the personal contact with the palace before I became docent. Yeah, and, and with the mainland. You know, it was a national icon. It was probably the only royal palace in, in the country. That's correct. So then later on, you got involved again. You followed this at a distance, but there came a time uh, when you got closer to it. Can you tell us about that? Well, I was a lawyer for 40-some-odd uh, years and, uh, and casting around for something to give back to the community that had been so great to me. And um, one of our great friends is Alice Guild, which is an icon in this community. And Alice and my wife are great friends in the Garden Club, and Alice said, you know, Willie's got a good gift to gab. Why don't you get him to be into the training of the docent? So I looked into it. They accepted me. And I entered the training in um, the spring of 2009. And Zita Cup Choi is the marvelous educator up there at Iolani um, uh, Palace. And she not only uh, taught me uh, uh, an awful lot of what I needed to know, 
but infected me with such a desire to learn more about the monarch life in the palace that I did a lot of collateral reading. I probably did more than I should have because some of my <laughs> tours kind of run over, but uh, it was fun to do. Well, it's, you know, it's interesting because you brought to that your experience as a lawyer and a litigator, a researcher, and somebody who can talk to people. All those things came together, and now we have somebody who's willing in his retirement to be a docent. That's quite something. Those are a lot of skills. And I suppose, um, you know, you gave tours that were different than the, the customary kind of tour. Am I right? I think every docent uh, brings to the palace their own experiences, their own uh, reflections on, um, on the life of Hawaii back in those days. And I think our job really is to um, not only show off the palace, which is a marvelous restoration, but to try and um, uh, tell people what it was like for the monarchs to live in those hallowed rooms with those wonderful artifacts. And, um, and, and in the process, teach a little bit about Hawaiian and monarch history. But um, it, it's, uh, it was more fun than work, I'll tell you that. Oh, sure. And it's the stories, the stories that, that bring it alive, that make it memorable, not only for tourists who come around, but for local people who'd never heard the stories before. I, you know, taking the tour with you last Saturday, uh, there were many, many stories. And we're actually going to do, we are doing a movie for OC16. It's actually going to be in two parts. It's all about Willie Moore and Iolani Palace, and uh, there's a lot to it. There's a lot of material there. Um, so take a look at that. It'll start in a few weeks on OC16. It'll run all together, gee, for two weeks and uh, 14 separate showings, so it'll be worthwhile looking at. But let's talk about, you know, the tours that you give. Uh, you take us into a room. You talk about all the uh, icons and artifacts in the room. You talk about the people who are in the room, what they did in the room even how they got along in the room, why, we were, why they were there, what they, you know, what they aspired to, and how they fit into Hawaii history. That's really something. And, uh, and your tour is just, you don't take a breath, do you? Well, I, I, you've got so much to cover, and uh, we're under a time limit. We're supposed to finish the two floors, the upper floors in Iolani Palace in 45 minutes. And uh, like I tell you, they... Uh, I talk so much, they sometimes call me Waha Willie, which means mouth in Hawaiian, as I tell too many stories. But um, I think my job, in addition to telling everybody about Iolani Palace and what it means to all the Hawaiian people, is to be entertaining and to um, uh, make the tourists uh, want to come back again. So um, that's part of the, I think that's an important part of any tour. For a decade. How many times a week were you doing that for a decade? Um, we had a, a home in British Columbia, a summer home. And so when you, sign, when you finish the contract, you sign an agreement that you will do the tours at least for once a week for a year. And because I was gone so much in the summer, I signed up for two. So uh -huh. I did two season Fridays, and we sold the place in British Columbia a couple of years ago, but I just continued to do the two tours. And oh, I think I ended up with something like, 610 tours or something. That's but, a lot of tours. Well, no, but it was, it was more fun than work. Yeah, sure. I saw you having fun when I followed you. you. Uh, I actually followed you twice, as, as you may recall. Yeah, that's right. I, I took your that. tour twice. Remember that. So, um, you know, in the tour, you, you have Q&A, and I wonder what kind no, no, of... No, two a week. Two a week. You have Q&A. You have, you have people asking you questions, people who know a lot about the palace, and people maybe who don't know anything about the palace. How do you handle that? And, and, and uh, have those questions been a help 
in conducting these tours or do they sidetrack you? Um, yes and no. Uh, they don't sidetrack. I don't know the answers to every question that's asked, of course. I know most about what each room represents and I know um, we're, we're taught uh, generally what all the artifacts in the room are, paintings and so on and so forth. But you're always, you can't be, you're stumped occasionally. But the questions usually belie the interest of the tour group. So then you can guide your presentation more toward that uh, question. Sure. Because that help, that's helpful in that way. It tells you what, what they're interested of in. Of course. It tells you what they want to hear and you of can course. adapt it. So, you know, you took us, um, I'm sure there's more to it, but you took us to the, the, uh, the, the main floor uh, where we, the, the uh, stairway the, goes up. You took us to the top floor. I guess yeah, the, the, public, the public area is the main area uh, where the public is invited and, uh, and visits the monarch. The upper, upper floor is the private apartments, and there's stories in every single room. Yeah, it's really incredible to hear the stories pour out. And I guess my favorite place was the throne room, and I want to ask you about that. Uh, and then below, below the main floor, there's another floor. And what's lower on gallery, the lower gallery. And uh, if the royal family was in residence, uh, I think the history books say there was probably 60 servants in the palace to take care of the royal family. The lower gallery is where the offices are, the storerooms, the kitchen, things like that. And you get to know, you get to know the the royal family. You get to know the dynasties that were there. Uh, you get to know uh, how they thought, what they did, how they lived. This is very interesting stuff. So um, who's your favorite um, royal, royal person? Who's your favorite king? Do you have a favorite king? Well, I think uh, Kalakaua, of course, was the inhabitant of the palace the longest and left the greatest mark on it. Probably, that, probably the yeah. Kalakaua, but um, they're all interesting. Yeah. And Lilio Kalani uh, spent some time being imprisoned in, in the palace uh, after the overthrow. 1895, uh, there was a rebellion, and as a result of that rebellion, she was arrested in January of 1895, and some say on uh, uh, less than convincing evidence, but at least that's what happened. And then in February, she suffered the indignity of her trial in her own throne room and then was uh, house arrest in what the is called the imprisonment room uh, for seven months and 20, 20 some odd days. And uh, then she was paroled uh, and had to stay on the islands for a while. And then within a year after the original trial, she was totally pardoned. All tragic. All tragic. And I, you can, walking through the palace, you can, you can as you unroll the history, and, uh, you, can, you can feel the tragedy of it. There's a quilt there. Can you talk about the quilt? Well, met? the quilt was started, I don't know as much as I should, but the quilt was started uh, by um, uh, Queen Liliokalani and her um, two um, ladies-in-waiting, who there was one that was with her during the week, Jenny Wilson, and then there was another lady that came in on the weekend. And they started this quilt, what my grandmother used to call a crazy quilt, because it's uh, an odd-shaped um, um, pattern of snatches of cloth. And unlike most crazy quilts, these are pieces of old ball gowns. And so very, very flashy. And interwoven into the quilt is a lot of writing, which makes it very, very unique. So there's uh, some interesting writing all over it. Very personal to see that writing. Very personal, no question about that. Yeah. 
<clears throat> and I think my, one of my favorite rooms, I have many favorite rooms there, but is, the, uh, is that big dining room hall uh, where, the, where the king sat alongside the table instead of at the head of the table uh, and conducted um, conversations with visiting sea captains and the like. Can you talk about that? Well, that's, uh, the reason for that is communication. Uh, back in those days, in order to visit Hawaii, you have to come by sailing ship, and that's two weeks. And two weeks means two weeks for a newspaper to get here. So the king had no way to get in up-to-date information except to have a meal, where probably talk was more important than food. And by sitting in the middle of the table, he could be in the center of things and invite people uh, like the uh, uh, captains in the harbor and his officers and the uh, visiting minister or uh, even the opera star was across the street. And then from that, he would find out what was going on in the world, probably a protracted meal longer than it would normally be, but the king that way got up to snuff on what was going on in the world. Wished I'd been there. <laughs> would have been nice, but you know, following your tour, it was like I was there. Well, that's nice to say. <laughs> and then uh, you say the opera across the street. What was the that opera about? house was right across the street where today is the federal building. And so the opera star uh, would have been certainly invited just right across the street. And uh, certainly whatever minister had uh, been uh, at the palace, and uh, they say Robert Louis Stevenson ate at that very table in 1883, and uh, then whatever, whatever ship was in port, the captain and the officers would be invited, and that's where the king would find out what was going on in the world. That's where the action was. Interesting that it was at the same location as, as the federal building, because I know you spent a lot of time in that federal building. Well, I used to try cases there, and I was Judge Wiggs' law clerk when I first came back from from law school. Back Did you go to law school? I went to Hastings Law School, which at that time was an adjunct of the University of California at Berkeley, and now it's really a part of it. But when I came back, there was a, um, uh, a residency rule that was in a fog, and you had to be a resident of Hawaii uh, in order to practice law or take the bar. So I had to wait a year, and that's what I did. I was Judge Wick's law clerk over in the federal court. So, And then my father was uh, assistant district attorney there for 13 years, so I had been through the federal court as a child visiting my dad. So I knew, I knew people there even before <laughs> I was Judge Wick's law clerk. And as you walked the floors of uh, Yolani Palace, all of this played into that. We're going to take a short break, Willie. This is Willie Moore. He's a, a retired lawyer, a retired community, a community contributor, a retired docent, but not fully retired uh, from Iolani Palace. We'll be right back after this short break.
Yeah, Wilson Moore, now 90 and a half, soon to be 90 and two thirds. Eh? <laughs> Don't remind me. I'm sorry. <laughs> a decade uh, in the royal court at Ilani Palace. It's a double entendre. Uh, and in fact, the legislature for a long time after the territory, after the territory of Hawaii, after the overthrow, met in the in the uh, in Iolani Palace. And you worked in the Iolani Palace. Some say you worked in the same spaces that Steve McGarrett worked in. Am I right? No, uh, no. Uh, from what I understand, uh, Hawaii Five-O uh, took some exterior shots of the palace, but that which looked like the interior of the palace was on a film set. I don't okay. think they ever filmed from inside, but I... Uh, you were really there. But I worked, I did work in the palace back in the 1950s. I was a deputy attorney general, um, as I mentioned before, uh, and my job was the harbor board. And uh, as the harbor board deputy... Harbor it, boy? Meaning harbor the... board. Board of Harbor Commissioners. Okay. Territorial Board of Harbor Commissioners. I think as you drive through Ivole, you still see one of the harbor buildings with that on it, Territorial Board of Harbor, Harbor Board for short. And um, the legislature indeed met downstairs, which was uh, a tragic uh, use of those uh, buildings. Uh, luckily, they're restored. But if they passed a bill that had something to do with harbors, then I had to uh, investigate the impact, and then I had to write a report to the governor. The governor in those days was William Quinn, and uh, he was the last uh, governor under the territory, and he was the first elected governor after 1959. And so I had to write a report to the governor. Governor, this is to explain bill number such and such. I recommend that you approve it. I recommend you veto it. And he'd call me occasionally on the phone and say, Willie, I need to talk to you. And up those Iolani Palace stairs, I would climb and into the governor's office, I would come and discuss the bill with the uh, governor, but we have restored that same room as King Palakawa's bedroom. And that's exactly the way it's furnished today. Now, when you walk through that room and give tours through that room, you're thinking of the way it was uh, for the Harbor Board. 70 years ago. Oh my goodness. Those were the, those were the days. Uh, Hawaii was a different place than then. No question. Um, anyway, so I want to talk about other rooms there that sure. I particularly enjoyed. There was uh, a room where there were icons on the table. Uh, I think there was a poker table in there. Um, and this is this That's is the, the king's these, bedroom. Yeah, these are the spaces where the king would, you know, enjoy, sit back, um, recreate, whatnot. Can you talk about those rooms? Well, actually, that, that you're talking about the poker table in the king's bedroom. Mm -hmm. Actually, we think was located in the king's boathouse that jutted out into Honolulu Harbor. In fact. I have been told there is, it has been photographed in there. And he had so much fun in that room that historians like to call that room the snuggery, his yes. boathouse, his boathouse. And that's where the poker table was, but he loved to play poker. He played a lot of poker. Stories about winning and, bigging, winning and losing big time big in time, those yeah. poker yeah, games. Yeah, lots of it. And there, <laughs> and there was uh, Robert Louis Stevenson played at that table too. So a lot of historical figures. And the palace is filled with objects re reflecting his trips. He was enlightened. He took trips. He, he sent members of his court on trips. Um, and, and he became a, a global figure, uh, which was remarkable because these are little wee islands in the middle of nowhere. And he's traveling and his, his family is traveling. Everywhere. Can you talk about that? Well, he spoke flawless English. And um, 
uh, that was a great advantage when he was traveling. But yes, you're right, he, he loved to travel. Yeah, one trip in 1881, 10 months, 17 countries around the world, um, and he collected. Uh, uh, he was uh, a very hail fellow, well met, well, very well spoken, very handsome figure. Um, accounts of his uh, appearances in Washington and San Francisco and London, very favorable to the impression that he made. And um, uh, he brought things back, I think, uh, in my tour, uh, in Iolani Palace, there's two magnificent uh, vases in the king's bedroom that he acquired in Japan, and they were sold off by auctioneers and went through a number of families, and luckily the one of the latest families that had it have donated it back to the palace, and we have them back, and they're magnificent vases. So there's a number of things that he acquired. And there were so many things, tragically, uh, that were taken and sold after the overthrow. It was dismembered uh, in many ways, and luckily, uh, the friends of the palace and other people who were friends of the palace managed to get a lot of that back, but it's not all back yet. We've gotten 40 to 50% of the uh, contents back, and you're right. Uh, uh, Queen Kapiolani's executors, Liliokalani's executors, and the government sold the contents off, much of the contents anyway, and um, people would buy and then scatter to the four winds. Mm. and. Uh, but uh, we have um, a, a little bit of a treasury that we uh, you can use to buy things up. For instance, if we see something on, on Sotheby's that uh, mm. claims to be an artifact from Iolani Palace and it bumps the price because of it, we will do our investigation, or the curators do. And if it is in, in fact ours, we'll see if we have enough money in the kitty to buy it. And if we don't, we'll walk downtown and suggest to one of the businessmen that they could make a contribution to the Alani Palace, yeah. and that's how we've gotten 40 to 50% of the things back. So many stories uh, in Alani Palace. One of the things I did not know was there came a time when the kings were elected by, by, uh, by, by popular vote in this, in this state? Well, the, of course, there was natural succession as long as the Kamehamehas were alive. But the original constitution way back in 1840 decreed that if there was no other way to do it, then it should be by election. And so when King Kamehameha V, Lot, died, now the Kamehameha line is gone. So you have no uh, royal line for automatic succession, and that required the first election in 18, 1873. And who should get elected but and unfortunately, he uh, contracted tuberculosis, didn't 13 months in office. We have to have another election in 1874. And the contenders that time were Emma, the Queen Dowager, and Kalakaua. And Kalakaua, of course, won that election and became king. So interesting. I can't think of another royalty anywhere where the king is elected by popular vote. That's extraordinary. Only in Hawaii. The other only in Hawaii story that I remember, it really is uh, very memorable, was the attempt to marry uh, Kaiolani off to the son of the emperor in Japan. That's a fabulous, can you talk about that? Well, King Kalakaua in 1881 made a trip around the world and his, he stopped first in the United States and then his first foreign stop was in, in Japan. And uh, it was a, a marvelous event. The, the emperor was quite taken with the king. And, and the king was always looking for a political alliance. But besides that, 
He was really quite taken with one of the Japanese princes. Thought the young man was a very fine young man. So he proposed to the Japanese government a future marriage contract between Princess Kaiolani and this young prince. And I think Kaiolani was very young, maybe only six years old at the time, but a future marriage contract. But Japan said no. And as I say in my tour, but how interesting to think how different Japan, Hawaii, the United States, and maybe the world would have been had that marriage taken very place. Very provocative thought. That really catches me. And, that, and indeed, it would have been very different. You can, you can um, attribute so many events uh, to that union. It would be amazing. Um, so we went to the throne room. You took us to the throne room, which is, I guess, the biggest single room in the palace. Yes, it's just the ceremonial center of the palace, of course. And it had um, a couple of thrones there, really beautiful with gold. Uh, 23-carat 23, 23 gold uh, uh, thrones. They were their original thrones, of course, part of that original manufacturer from the Davenport Company, who later uh, made furniture for the White House. And um, they were, um, at, uh, at the time of the overthrow, they were taken to Bishop Museum for safekeeping. They were not auctioned off. And then in the 1970s, after the Capitol building had been built, and the government put in the Capitol building, then the thrones were brought back into the throne room, and that's where they are today. What was it like, you know, to be royalty, to be one of the chamberlains, for example, in the palace, to be part of the royal family, the royal court, as it were? Um, <clears throat> you know, because the common people, the ordinary folk, didn't get in there, uh, at least on, you know, uh, ex except on special occasion. Um, what was it like to be in the throne room and to, to rule? Uh, that's, that's one thing that has always interested me. What was it like during the royalty vis-a-vis -vis the royals and the not royals? Well, you're asking somebody who doesn't have that depth of knowledge, not studied that particularly, but I can only imagine that I know from my reading that the Hawaiians almost deified their royalty. They thought they were godlike, and everything is red, the color red. Red was the color of the gods. That was the color of the elite, the nobles, the royalty. Um, um, the public was, uh, I think, invited on certain occasions. There were royal balls held in the throne room. Um, the, um, the royalty was held, of course, in very, very high esteem. But uh, I think they were very proud of the uh, show place that King Kalakaua had provided, the, the palace built in 1882. So. Yeah, and, and, and you know, it's, it's clear the palace is a symbol of the kind of progress that Hawaii and, and the, the monarchy was making in the 19th century. Uh, they had come from a place which was not at all uh, sophisticated in, uh, say, the year 1800. And by, the, uh, by the time of the overthrow, they had achieved uh, world, world repute. They had achieved um, all kinds of tech. They were, they were, they were uh, lit with electricity before the White House was, you said, yeah? 1880, that's right. Yeah. 1887 was the... First year, 1886 was the first year the exterior was electrified. 1887, the interior of the palace was electrified four years before the White House. That's a very forward-thinking guy. Telephones they had. They had telephones. I think there were <laughs> at least 300 subscribers in Honolulu at 1883, and by golly, the king was certainly one. And what you saw on the wall in the king's in the library was uh, the original phone. I think the original one is in Bishop Museum, but this is an identical copy. Yeah, extraordinary how, how Hawaii was, you know, was so progressive 
through that whole century. And it's all reflected in the palace. If you look at the things you were showing us, you realize that they were making really incredible progress. They were globally minded, globally aware. Um, and I can understand why the people admired them. Um, they, they, were, they were leaders in, in, a, in, a, in a community that respected leaders, um, but that was also current uh, in, you know, in the global scene. If I were an ordinary citizen in that period, I would have been proud of them. I would have admired them, and I would have been loyal to them. Well, I think that's, yeah, I think that's very true. Remember, uh, Hawaii was very literate back in those days. Yes. Uh, thanks to the missionaries and converting an oral language to a, uh, a written language in the late uh, 1800s, uh, Hawaii is said to have been the most literate nation in the world. So they had a knowledge of the outside world. And of course, uh, in a strategic location in the middle of the Pacific, they had traders from all over the world. So they had um, interests in, from the Russians and the French and the English and the Americans primarily traded there. So they had uh, quite a bit of knowledge of the, of the world. Yeah. So if you want to go back and live that century again, if you want to see what happened, if you want to be there and be part of it somehow, you should go to Iolani Palace. But I, I want to offer you this last um, you know, opportunity um, in our show to, to address the people, uh, to tell them what you would like them to remember about the palace and uh, what you think they ought to do about preserving the palace and visiting the palace. There's camera four. Well, I think the palace is uh, a, a blessing for all the people. It, it reminds people of a bygone day, yes, but of a rich history that the Hawaiians have. And uh, it was a real privilege for me to be a part of it for 10 years. Um, I felt that I gave back as much as, I, I got back as much as I gave. Um, you can't uh, teach all that and, and have that interaction with people without uh, a lot of it rubbing off on you. And I, I would certainly encourage people to uh, take their retirement and, uh, and do something like that, because it's a, it's a blessing and a lot of fun, too. Thank you, Willie Moore. Really appreciate your service uh, in many ways to this community and to the palace. Appreciate your coming down here. Um, and we'll see you next week, because next week we're going to do another show with Willie Moore. We're going to talk about his, uh, his, his life and time in practicing law here, back, back many years ago when he was an aviation lawyer. You want to hear about the uh, very interesting cases he handled. Thank you, Willie. It's great to have you here. Thank you. Aloha. Blech.